The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Alessandra Melito, the retirement reporter at Market Watch, and today with me is Larry Kotlikoff, an American economist. Welcome, Larry. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great pleasure to be with you. So social security is a topic that everybody just can't get enough of. There's always a question or about 5,000 questions to ask about it regarding claiming, just if it's going to even be there for us, what the government's doing, and so on. So I'm just going to dive right in, um, if that's okay with you. Sure. So the markets are volatile. Inflation is diminishing power, uh, purchasing power. Uh, these are all things that are concerning retirees and just everybody in general. But how important are, are they when considering Social Security or when to claim Social Security? Well, the combination of volatile markets and, um, and high inflation should lead people to be much more careful about when they take, uh, start taking Social Security. Most people should be taking uh, their retirement benefit at around 85. Uh, sorry, at, at 70. Um, the 85 refers to the share of people that I think should be waiting till 70. So when I said most people, I mean about 85% should be taking it at 70. Only about 6% wait that long. So now when you wait till 70, you get a 76% higher uh, benefit adjusted for inflation compared to the benefit you start getting starting at 62. That's the earliest age at which you can start collecting your Social Security. Now, why does this all interconnect with the inflation and volatility? Well, Social Security is paying you um, a return for waiting. To begin with, your benefit is not reduced for taking it before your full retirement age. And the other thing is that the benefit is increased after your full retirement age because you wait to collect it due to, due to something called the delayed retirement credit. So the two things together are responsible for the 76% higher number Again, inflation adjusted. Inflation adjusted means you're protected against inflation. It also means that you're getting a bigger share of your resources in old age coming in inflation protected form. So uh, waiting till 70 uh, is going to you know, give you extra insurance against inflation. And we certainly need extra insurance against inflation given how much uh, inflation we're now seeing. And there's no you know, for sure, uh, the markets believe inflation is going to come down by about about 4% over the next five years and down to around 3 3.5% over the next 30 years. That's the current market forecast based on what you see in the bond market for inflation index bonds and for uh, regular bonds, long-term and short-term bonds. Uh, and then with the volatility, Social Security's uh, payout is really independent of what's going on with the, with the uh, economy and the stock market for sure. So it gives you more um, more diversification to be putting more money into Social Security and in effect buying a higher annuity because by waiting to, and giving up benefits for eight years between 62 and, and 70, 
you're in effect paying something to get a higher stream thereafter. So you're in effect buying a higher annuity that's inflation protected from Social Security. So Social Security is selling us inflation protected annuities if we're patient, you know, we just pay for that by giving up uh, benefits for a while and getting a higher number later. Absolutely. So for the average Social Security beneficiary, I mean, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, a lot a lot of more opportunities for people prior to claiming to like maybe make some arrangements or changes and things like that. But for those who are already receiving benefits, is there anything else that they can do? Like, should can they change anything or or how should they adjust themselves so that, you know, they're not as worried about the inflation and the investment portfolios and all that? Well, if you or your spouse or partner are below full retirement age, at full retirement age, you can suspend your benefit and start it up again at uh, 70. So maybe you started taking benefits at 62. You're 66 in seven months right now. You just reach full retirement age. Well, you can suspend it and you'll get about a 30, 28 to 30% higher number starting at age 70. And that will continue till you pass away. So, you know, in addition to protecting you against inflation, in addition to giving you a higher uh, lifetime income, because I, you know, it's not just that the 76% is compensating you for waiting eight years. It's that that's a huge return. The, the return is being set by the government on patients is enormous, far higher than anything you can get on the market. The stock market right now on an inflation adjusted basis is yielding a negative return. Sorry, on a risk-adjusted basis. So, you can, and we're seeing all the risk in the market right now. The uh, so this is doing far better than the stock market after you risk-adjust. And then the other thing about waiting is that you get this higher stream. That's um, you're getting, you're buying this annuity, this additional annuity. But that means you're buying extra insurance, not just against inflation, but against longevity. And people are living, we're going to have about 3,000 people living over age 100, about 3,000 centenarians in the middle of the century. And you might be one of them. My mom uh, passed away at 98. Uh, so lots of us are going to live lots, a lot longer than we, uh, than our finances can afford. So we want to protect ourselves. And that's where having a higher inflation index annuity as part of your resources makes a big difference yeah so how do how do you suggest some people approach the planning process if they're trying to juggle waiting as long as they possibly can to claim social security but you know maybe needing some sort of you know some some of those assets so you know ideally a lot of people will be saving for retirement on their own if they get a pension that's amazing but not everybody can afford to wait until age 70 so is there yeah. anything that they can do to uh, make the most of the situation? Well, a lot of people are waiting too late to take their uh, retirement benefits, their 401k money. Well, they're, they're, if they retired, they converted it into an IRA, presumably. Uh, they might still have a good employer in, in the 401k, but they're waiting too long to take that money. They're actually raising their lifetime taxes. Imagine you waited till 90 to start taking your retirement money if you Obviously, we have the uh, uh, required minimum distributions, the RMDs, that people are facing starting at age 72 now. That's current law. 
But imagine we didn't have that and everybody waited till 90. Well, they'd be putting themselves into a very high tax bracket and their lifetime taxes would actually be higher. So even though they were deferring taxes along the way, they're pushing themselves into such a high tax bracket that the tax advantage on balance is, is a negative. So some people who think they should start for tax reasons, maybe at 72, should actually be starting at, at 62 and use that money to wait to take Social Security. So again, the return, if you have your money in the stock market in your IRA and you're saying, gee, I need to take my Social Security early because the stock market's going to make a killing. After you adjust for risk, it's not going to make a killing. It's going to make a negative return. So, you know, I don't want to turn this into a, an advertisement, but I've been working on financial planning software for 29 years. We have a tool called Maxify.com. It does lifetime planning and it shows you uh, your lifetime spending if you do it this way versus that way, but it also tells you it has like a little optimization thing that says when to take Social Security for you and your spouse and also when to start your retirement account withdrawals. And then you can also look at raw conversion. So there are ways that economists have developed that can help people at very low cost figure out the answers to these questions, which are, you know, if I could tell you how to do it with a pencil and paper, I wouldn't be mentioning my company's software, but it's really uh, beyond human capacity to get all the, you know, think about when do I retire? That's a big question. I mean, you know, one answer to your question is uh, not to retire. And I'm a big advocate of working until you drop, basically, because I think old age is so risky financially. And because so many of us have underperformed, under saved uh, for whatever reason. But then the uh, other thing is protecting ourselves against inflation uh, and longevity being optimizing social security, but then how do you how do you get by while making retirement accounts earlier or borrow from your brother, borrow from your uh, from your kids because uh, there's benefits, you know, if you can make more money, you can spread the gain to your relatives and pay them back a higher return than they could otherwise get on the market uh, by making a loan. Definitely. So uh, I just want to take a moment to uh, remind the audience that we will be taking uh, questions. So if you have any, feel free to share them and we will get to those momentarily. So I, I, you know, you mentioned your software. I know we have chatted about that quite a bit in the past. Could you tell me a little bit um, just, you know, because it is so complicated and there are what feels like a million ways <laughs> to uh, think about claiming Social Security. Um, what are some of the most important factors aside, you know, even aside from what's happening in the world right now, when people um, are making that decision? Well, you have to, um, you know, realize that if you keep, uh, you know, you have, first of all, there's a decision about when to retire. And you have to realize that as you keep working, you might be able to raise your benefit because you'll have either more credits you need 40 credits. Most people have those already, but um, you may be able to raise your average earnings that are entering into the Social Security benefit calculation. For example, anybody earning above the ceiling right now, it's around 150, 140, 150, I forget the exact number. Anybody above that is going to get a 
kicker to their lifetime social security benefits that has nothing to do with the COLA. It's because they're going to raise their average, uh, what's called monthly um, index earnings. And though that um, is going to impact, impact their benefit and even the benefits that their spouse uh, can receive as a spousal benefit, um, they're eligible for that, or as a, a widow if they, the person passes away. So uh, now, what other factors do you have to think about? You have to decide uh, whether you should be taking your benefit. Uh, not everybody should be waiting until 70. And there's also, so if you're married, you have a much more complicated problem because what you do influences what your spouse can do, what your wife or husband can do, and vice versa. So it's a joint problem. And this is where sophisticated software is so important. And Social Security doesn't have this kind of uh, software on its website because it just looks at each person as a person because of privacy reasons. They can't talk, talk to you about your spouse and uh, or tell you anything about your spouse or, and you can't tell them anything about your spouse. So, so they can't do family planning. But if there's anywhere where you need to do family planning, it's this area. So, you know, let's say you had a, a 62-year-old uh, uh, a spouse and you're um, uh, 67, well, if that spouse didn't have much of an earnings record, if you wait to 70 uh, and that spouse is retired, you're going to keep that spouse from being able to collect spousal benefits off of your record, early retirement spousal benefits. It might be that if they have a fairly short lifespan, uh, they're starting to take their benefit early would make sense. Uh, and so therefore you should start taking your benefit early. You may be one of the 15% or so that should not wait till 70. Or maybe you have your own, you're, you're sure that you're not going to make it beyond age 85. Then uh, you don't necessarily want to wait. Or you could tell our software, for example, that you think social security benefits are going to be cut dramatically. I think they, you know, Social Security is in terrible long-term shape, according to their trustees report that just came out. But do I really think that benefits are going to be cut for people that are in retirement or close to retirement? Maybe for the super rich, but not not for the middle class and uh, low-income people, because this is political death for politicians. We know we know that our politicians are seeing, you know, just to give an analogy here. We have people slaughtering our children on a daily basis with uh, guns that are with rifles that are, you know, used in the military. Um, and our politicians are saying, gee, no big problem. We're not going to ban those assault rifles. Uh, so they're super scared of doing anything that's going to lose them votes from their particular consist constituents. Uh, so I don't see uh, if they can't pass. Uh, assault weapon uh, bans, they're not going to cut social security benefits, is my view. Uh, and what they may do is raise taxes. So we, we need to be, um, you know, thinking about tax increases. And again, you can enter that into the uh, software program as part of your planning. I think uh, there's like, likely to be higher taxation of social security benefits. And that's happening automatically through inflation because as inflation uh, raises the price level, our social security benefits are increased, but there's thresholds, two thresholds beyond which our social security benefits become 
first uh, half of them become taxable and then 85% become taxable. And those thresholds are not indexed for inflation. They're not adjusted. So as everybody's benefits go up and their incomes from you know, working go up uh, because salaries are going up, although they're not keeping pace with inflation, unfortunately. Uh, but because of that general rise in all the you know, wages and, and prices and social security benefits and these thresholds being fixed in, in fixed dollars, our kids for sure, and a lot of us are going to be facing uh, a lot of more taxes on social security than would otherwise have been the case thanks to this inflation. So I've been writing columns that people go to kotlikoff.net uh, uh, and maybe they want to sign up for my Substack uh, column uh, newsletter. Uh, you can get a free subscription or whatever uh, if you'd like. The, um, they'll see columns where I'm talking about the need for the government to start fixing the tax system so that we, including these thresholds, indexing them so we're not, so if we're going to have inflation, we can live with it in a reasonable way. We shouldn't be taxing retirees um, and cut people coming into retirement at higher and higher levels on their social security benefits just because inflation is happening, uh, because there's been supply chain uh, bottlenecks or because the government's been um, overly generous in handing out benefits to deal with COVID. Maybe, they, maybe that's the explanation for inflation. Nobody knows for sure why inflation exactly is happening. We got seven and a half million people setting prices, businesses setting prices, and they uh, are looking at all kinds of information, including what the, their competitors are doing. And so they're not necessarily listening to Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, or Janet Yellen, who's the Treasury Secretary, saying keep your price increases low. Uh, they may not even know who those people are, okay? So, uh, so inflation may kind of be often wandering on its, often running on its own, uh, independent of what government policy is. The Fed has raised interest rates by about fifty basis points. That's really nothing, uh, given our inflation rate is still around, running around eight eight percent retrospectively. Prospectively, the markets are expecting, as I said, about four percent over the next five years, and about three, three and a half percent over the next 30 years. So they expect these, you know, prices and increases in like wheat and oil to come down as supply responds. Uh, if you're a climate uh, change uh, person, you th who you're wor worried about climate change, you can think about Putin having just, having just put a climate, uh, a, a carbon tax on the world by invading Ukraine Maybe the only positive thing out of that is that uh, we, in effect, have a carbon tax globally. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's negatives. Obviously, we have to pay a lot more for gas and for heating. Uh, positives is we make protect our kids and grandkids. Even if we think on average carbon uh, climate change is not really happening, we have to worry about the risk that it might be. Nobody. I don't think the most ardent climate denier uh, who might have good grounds for being a climate denier would say they know for sure. They know better than NASA. They know better than, you know, all the sign, the 95% of the scientists who do believe in climate change, that they know for sure it's not going to happen. 
they might say, I think on average, it's not going to happen, but I don't, I don't know for sure. So anyway, that's a bit, when you deal with an economist, you start getting people, you have people digress. And I've digressed off of social security. So let me go back to answer your questions. No, but, I mean, you make a, a lot of really great points. Actually, I was going to ask you about uh, the trustees report and all that. So I know that they are estimating within the next decade and a half that the trust funds that support the program would run out of money. And if that's the case, uh, people would still get benefits, but it would be cut. Um, but with, you know, thinking about inflation also, higher inflation, like you mentioned, you know, benefits, the COLA, the cost of living adjustment, does increase the benefit? Could that affect um, the trust funds, or just how social, how much Social Security pays out? Like, would is there a chance that um, the funds could run out of money sooner if inflation continues to rise at such a rapid pace? Well, Social Security is pretty well indexed for inflation, except for the fact that the taxation on benefits is um, going up because these thresholds are fixed. Uh, and but actually, you're you you are correct that because wages are indexed up to age 60 based on uh, wage growth in the economy, economy wage, wide wage growth. Uh, but after age 60, they enter into this formula just nominally. So if we see people, you know, suppose we saw a doubling of prices uh, and wages were to double as well. Everybody, lots more people would be above the threshold. Uh, well, well, sorry, anybody above the threshold because uh, the threshold would also rise, the taxable threshold. But anybody above there would see their benefits go up by a qu quite a bit because they're these nominal earnings are going above the threshold are going to be added with these indexed earnings, but they're only indexed up to age 60. So they're only taking into account wage growth, which incorporates price growth up through when you're 60. Now you're 75, you're still working. You're, you know, in today's dollars, you're earning, let's say, $100,000, but with inflation between now and then, uh, let's say this is, we're talking 10 years into the future, you're earning $300,000. Now you're gonna get a much bigger benefit uh, in real terms because the whole system of benefit calculation is not inflation indexed. So that's, so you're absolutely right. And I, I'm sorry, I kind of started myself off, off on the wrong track there. The, the thresholds aren't indexed, but also the the what's called the PIA calculation is not fully indexed when you have earnings beyond age 60. So if you're somebody who's close to earning the ceiling or above the ceiling, the taxable ceiling above, you know, like 140,000, you should be thinking three times over about uh, retiring early because you can actually make, if there is high inflation and your salary goes up, you can actually raise your benefit by continuing to work. Now, will it cover the extra taxes you have to pay? Probably not, but there is this extra advantage that you may not be thinking about that you should consider. Uh, the uh, Another th thing that people that I wanted to kind of push on in this uh, interview is, is talking about all the millions of people that may have retired during COVID because they were furloughed or laid off and they, they started to take Social Security because they didn't want to tap their 401k or their IRA. I think that was, again, a mistake. Probably must be much better to tap those things first and be patient with Social Security and the software. Maxify.com shows that. But um, uh, what if they did take Social Security early and now they're sitting here 
saying to themselves, gee, because of the Social Security's earnings test, if I go back to work, I'm getting, uh, let's say, 25000 a year in Social Security benefits. I'm going to lose almost all of them to, due to the earnings test if I earn, let's say, 60000 70000 a year. Well, that's missing a very big part of the picture, which is that Social Security has something called the adjustment of the reduction factor. So, yes, you could lose your uh, benefits due to the earnings test. But then when you reach full retirement age, those benefits are going to be beefed up, increased based on exactly what you lost. So if you're taking your retirement benefit early, for example, and let's say you're single to keep it simple. And now you reach full retirement age, and you've lost all these benefits due to going back to work. And you're kicking yourself for going back to work and saying it's not worth it. I was taxed to death. Basically, I was paying the government to work. That's not right because your retirement benefit will be increased so that on an actuarial basis, you're going to be fully compensated by, um, by this uh, adjustment in your benefit level. And out of the blue, you'll see that your check is much higher than it was when you were 62 and you, and you lost money due to working. So I want, want people to know that if they retired early, they should not think of the Social Security, loss of Social Security benefits due to working, going back to work as a tax because it's a tax. It's a very cruel kind of program because it convinces you you're being taxed and then it gives you the money back. It's really subtly trying to keep the work, the elderly from going back to work. It's It really has probably dates back to the 1930s and 40s where people at that time thought there was a fixed number of jobs in the economy and we needed to push the elderly out of the workforce, make room for the young. And that's not really, no economist really believes that. Now, let me just caveat this by saying that if you're taking a uh, retirement benefit, but then at full retirement age, you're going to click uh, switch on to getting a spousal benefit while your retirement benefit will be adjusted based on how much you lost. But if you're getting the spousal benefit, it's not going to really help you because your spousal benefit is higher than your retirement benefit. And you'll be getting that. I mean, it's going to be called the excess spousal benefit, but in effect, this you can get the higher of the two benefits in effect. And so getting this thing adjusted upward doesn't help you because you're no longer really collecting it. You're collecting this other thing, which hasn't been adjusted. And uh, therefore, the tax really is a tax. So, again, this is where sophisticated software makes all the difference in the world. And, uh, you know, for uh, we have another separate tool called MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com, which is only 40 bucks. Uh, so we kept this price really low, to, uh, even though we raised prices of other of our software products because we wanted to make sure everybody could get good advice here. Uh, I've been in, this company started 29 years ago. We've had uh, people working, the code for Social Security in our software runs, and our Maximize software is seven, if you printed it out, it would be seven reams of paper, printing paper. The code for Social Security by itself is about seven, about one ream, just to give you an idea of the complexity of the system. There's only 13 benefits. There's 2,728 rules in the Social Security handbook about those 13 benefits. And then there's hundreds of thousands of rules about those rules in the program operating manual system. And anybody, and then, okay, but I also wanted to get back to the trustees report because it just came out 
And it did does show that uh, we have a, another $2 trillion higher unfunded liability in this system. So the system is short 61 trillion of red ink. That's about two and a half years of GDP. Last year was short 59 trillion. The year before it was short about 49 trillion. So we've had these massive increases, massive deficits in social security that are off the book, off the books that nobody's writing about and talking about with one exception, you and me. We're talking about it right now and I've been writing about it uh, periodically. But every year I write an article, the $10 trillion deficit that nobody mentioned in the press. And, you know, if you have a liability that's off the books, that you're definitely, it's no different than having more government bonds that you have to be repaid. We're more likely to, to renege on government bonds, half of which are owned by foreigners, or maybe 40%, than we are to renege on retirees because foreigners don't vote on election day, but American elderly have nothing else to do but to go vote. They're mostly retired. And this is why the elderly vote to a much higher degree than uh, the young. And this is why the elder, the politicians are catering, catering to the elderly. Actually, um, so I want to stop you there because we do have some viewer questions that okay. pertain to to just what you just said. Um, so I'm just gonna jump right into those. We only have a few minutes left, so I'll try to get to as many as I possibly can. But um, Lee asked, um, and this you know goes back to social security and just you know everything that we hear about the system. Uh, Lee asked, how worried should we be that our current social security benefit might be decreased due to system viability? Is the movement to reduce benefits for wealthier recipients still alive? Well, you know, the Republicans had a proposal, uh, a congressman uh, who was like the head of the subcommittee on Social Security had a proposal to uh, fully index the benefits for low-income people, middle-income people, but not for the high-income people. That got nowhere during the Trump administration. Whether or not Trump gets reelected or some other Republican is, reelected, is elected, I don't see the Republicans biting this bullet. I see us marching right along to 2034, maybe, when the trust fund runs out, and then we put together some commission. So it's all it's going to be too little too late yet again. This is the history of post-war fiscal policy, irresponsible uh, children uh, posing as adults when, when they enter the Congress and not taking heed of the long-term fiscal insolvency of the country. We're, we have seen many countries over the centuries, and even in the last century, lots of countries go broke. In effect, we had 22 countries have hyperinflation, run hyperinflations because they couldn't pay their bills. Uh, and the U.S. is not immune from this either. Obviously, we have lots on our plate. We've got dealing with Putin's war, his genocide in Ukraine, and helping the Ukrainians. Uh, but we have to get our fiscal house in order. We can't be We've increased our official debt from 35% of GDP in 2008 to over probably 105% of GDP today. Our off-the-books liabilities have gone up dramatically. You know, we Social Security uh, has gone from about one year of GDP uh, shortfall, maybe one and a half to, to two, uh, two and a half. Uh, 
the Medicare program, uh, the Congressional Budget Office and Medicaid and Obamacare, all these things have major costs uh, increases being projected by the Congressional Budget Office. So if you put everything together, we have a, a, a long-term fiscal position that's probably worse than any developed country as a scale relative to our economy. So we have to, you know, you asked, uh, you know, uh, how to fix, uh, you know, <laughs> this is one of the reasons I decided to run as a write-in candidate back and we, we talked a little bit about this uh, uh, in the past year. And, uh, you know, I, I decided to run because the country is broke and needs, somebody needs to say it publicly and, exp and prove it and show it and say, look at these numbers, look at these numbers. This is not a joke. Uh, if you go to a country like New Zealand, they look at the Social Security Trustees report and every single reporter writes about it. And if they have a minor shortfall, not a year's a year and a, two and a half years of GDP shortfall, but two percent of GDP shortfall, they go crazy. The public, because I've been in in New Zealand and listened to the debate about trivial shortfalls in their superannuation program, whereas we have a trustees report that shows the most threatening uh, situation, and nobody discusses it publicly except. Market Watch and Barron's uh, uh, and uh, it looks like I've got to open the door because somebody's after. Can you give me half a second? Yeah. Okay. All right. Just let me read it. So uh, we have obviously been talking quite a bit about just everything impacting Social Security. Um, I will reiterate that Market Watch does a great job at uh, reporting on just everything that is going on with Social Security as far as the trustees report and, and inflation. We have a columnist, Brett Ahrens, who writes about it quite a bit. And if you, uh, if you haven't checked him out, I strongly suggest that you do so. Um, it, we... Uh, yeah, well, okay, so I will keep up with the questions then. So, um, okay, let's see. Uh, Grant asked, how accurate is the benefit statement provided by SSA.gov, Social Security Administration, for, the, for those claiming at age 70? Well, you should really print out your earnings record and make sure that they have your uh, correct earnings history. And every year you should keep your pay stub because you need to go back if they missed your earnings, uh, they said you had no earnings 15 years ago and you don't have any documentation, you're going to be stuck not being able to get the benefit that you deserve. So we have to realize that Social Security is not our friend. Uh, almost everything they say, well, I would say at least half of what they say is either dead wrong, in, in, uh, incomplete or misleading. Uh, so. And they can easily screw you out of hundreds of thousands of benefits. If you're a widow, for example, I've written recently, if you go to kotlikop.net and look at uh, my columns about Social Security's uh, uh, the biggest uh, uh, fraud, committer of fraud in, in the Social Security system is Social Security because they've defrauded 13,000 widows out of $130 million, according to $132 million 
according to their own uh, inspector general. And I have it as, you know, uh, an article at, at larrykotlikoff.substack.com, but it's also posted at kotlikoff.net about this. Uh, so if you're a widow, you got to be reading this article before you go to Social Security and start asking for benefits. Uh, so the, um, yeah, so uh, let me, like, give me your question one more time, because I think I kind of drove, <laughs> moved away from it, but I want to make sure I fully answered it. Yeah. So um, it was just, you know, how accurate do you think those benefit statements yeah. from SSA Gov are um, for specifically mostly, for claiming at 70? I think they're mostly accurate, but, you know, there are cases, there's confusions about names. Uh, the employer may not pay his social security, your part, his contribution and your contribution, uh, or might lie and commit fraud. So you want to be checking all the time. Uh, this is a very important benefit most people it's probably for 20 percent of the population it's everything they have to live on apart from you might have a home uh, uh, and for half the population it's the first uh, of retirees it's the largest financial asset or the second largest uh, so be really careful do not trust those security uh, don't listen to what they say know what to tell them to do and how to tell them how to do it that's really important. And there's a book I wrote called Get What's Yours. This is the book that became the New York Times bestseller about Social Security, co-authored with uh, Paul Salmon, who's a PBS NewsHour correspondent. You can have this correspondent for, for uh, public uh, TV. And uh, Philip Muller, who's a longtime uh, U.S. Uh, news world report personal finance columnist. So uh, we wrote a book, and, and you know, it's all about these Social Security rules. We tried to make it fun, and somehow... It became an, a, a bestseller, which it's not easy to make uh, a bestseller out of rules, right? Well, social security is a fun topic, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, but okay, so we only have time for one more question. This one is going to be from Ian, who asked, "Do you think Congress will need to raise FICA and Medicare tax in order to fund future benefits, since there will be less employees funding a larger retired and drawing base?" Something has to be done, and I don't see major benefit cuts. There could be benefit cuts for uh, the rich, um, younger people. Uh, I think they will probably be forced to raise the FICA tax, raise the ceiling for sure. I mean, President Biden would like to uh, tax uh, on under FICA people earning, you know, over $400,000. So have like a donut uh, an area here where you're not subject to the FICA tax in terms of your earnings, but then the super high earners would get FICA tax. I see that coming for sure. Uh, income tax rates have to go up in the country or we have to cut spending or we have to get these. So if you um, download a, a book called uh, You're Hired at Kotlikoff.net, you'll see what I would do and what other economists I think would do if we were in charge, there are ways to get our fiscal house in order. The biggest one is not really about Social Security. It's really about health care. And I would be an advocate. You know, Bernie Sanders is pushing for Medicare for all. If we did traditional Medicare for all, we would save money. But I'm pushing for Medicare Part C for all, which is the Republican version of Medicare, uh, which we now now more than roughly half of new retirees are, are going on to Medicare Part C. It's called the Advantage Plan. 
And if we had that available to everybody in the country, gave everybody in the country participation that we get rid of Obamacare and uh, traditional Medicare and employer-based health care, and we could have real competition and lower the cost of health care. So we're not spending 18, 19% of GDP as we are, but rather we're spending about 12, 13% like Germany and France and, and Switzerland. And those countries are delivering better healthcare outcomes. So if you just think about that differential, 5, 6%, 7% of GDP, that's plenty to cover our long-term problem. So we can fix our long-term problem, including Social Security, uh, just by saving money on healthcare, on giving people, helping people with healthcare in this country, we can do it that way. That's what I would advocate uh, is the first thing we should do. Go to the big, biggest problem around, which is our healthcare outlays. Yes, there is a lot that needs to be done. So unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today, though I know that we could talk about this forever. Uh, thank you so much, Larry, for being here and also for our audience for listening in. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron Senior Managing Editor Lauren Rublin and Healthcare Industry Reporter Josh Nathan Katsas discuss the outlook for healthcare stocks and the latest news on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Thank you all again for listening and we hope that you stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.